You're listening to the Heart and Soul Podcast with Katherine Banco. I'm on a mission to celebrate breakthrough, empowerment, and shameless living in the lives of women everywhere. Join me and let's live unashamed together. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 47 of Heart and Soul. I'm coming at you a little tired and hungry today because I just finished our first second Saturday soul workout. And y'all, it was really hard, (laughs) but really fun. And I hope that y'all can make it next time. Our next one's going to be the second Saturday, obviously, of December at 10 a.m. Location to be determined. I will post it on our Instagram. Um, But anyways, today I am joined by Austin Martz. So <laughs> Austin is one of the few guys we've had on this podcast, and I'm really excited for y'all to hear his story and kind of where he's at, but he's one of Michael's best friends, and he and his wife are good friends of ours. Um, he's a former professional soccer player. He's a current insurance agent, uh-huh. also a current fitness coach, um, soon to be dad, Baby soon number be, two. Uh, soon to be over 30 soccer league too. Oh gosh. So Rec league? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We've taken it down a couple tiers. Awesome. Well, um, thanks for being on the podcast today, Austin. Well, I'm just honored to be in the top 50. Yeah. Um, so I think third guy here. I'm a big numbers person and I've really just been waiting for this. Yeah. So, yeah. What's funny is Austin's very type A, like me and... Most people who have struggled with any type of control or disordered eating are type A. But in classic Austin fashion, he texted me and he was like, you got any questions for me for this week? <laughs> I needed a week to you prepare. You needed to prepare. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but um, it's going to be a good conversation. We have never covered body image for men on this podcast, hmm. obviously, because I'm a woman. I can only speak from my own um, experience, but... I've always been curious for kind of how men, I guess, find themselves in disordered eating or in like body image comparison Sure. because it's so different for women um, than it is for men. But I'm sure that there's a lot of like crisscrossing where it is actually pretty much the same. And I think it'll be good for if we ever have any guy listeners, <laughs> maybe you can tell your friends to listen, I but will. I think I'll it'll get be people on here. I think it would be good for pe- for men to listen to this and feel less alone because I've had, I think I had a friend, I sent them to you, mm-hmm. a friend reached out to me saying that her friend's husband struggled with an eating disorder. Could I send her anything to help him? And I was like, I don't know because I'm not a guy. Like, right. I don't know what to say that would feel like we're in this together kind right. of because yeah. I, I cannot you know, I can't relate. So I'm really excited for you to be on. Um, so tell our listeners a little bit about your past with body image and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I was thinking about that and when this all kind of started and I feel like I have to go all the way back to like middle school. Yeah. Um, because I feel like with body image, there's more of a seed where people are always trying to attach themselves to something, some Mm -hmm. type of identity, some type of group, some type of culture, movement, whatever it is. And I think in middle school is when I started realizing I was an above average athlete and I was also an above average student. And so when those two are hand in hand, you naturally just want to be part of the popular group. And so the best athletes, the best students are always the group that roll together There's usually 15 to 20 of them, and 
that's the group that I wanted to be associated with. And so that alongside of being really small in middle school was the challenge for me because when you're in the popular group, everybody in that culture is starting to figure out what dating looks like. People are starting to become boyfriend, girlfriend Mm -hmm. with each other. Being Tiny Tim in the middle (laughs) school and kind of the kid with the buzz cut who's just a fireball doesn't really get the attention from girls that the tall guys who play football and basketball get. Yeah. So I really, you know, as funny as that sounds, I wasn't conscious of any of that then. But looking back on it, I feel like it started with not so much wanting a certain, well, I guess it is a certain body type. Like I just wanted to be taller. Yeah. So that I could be seen more. Um, and so I think then it escalates, obviously, when you get into high school, you start to figure yourself out a little bit more. You start to figure your friends out a little bit more. Girls become a little more attractive. And now that starts becoming a reality where you really do want to start dating people. Um, and so I was still five, five, like one twenty-five. my, I don't know, sophomore year. I think I was one thirty-five by my senior year in high school. Wow. Um, but I, it was always that same, like, never truly had a desire to, you know, be with a ton of people or anything like that. But the guys who were with a lot of different girls and, you know, experiencing something that I maybe wasn't were the football players, the basketball players, the baseball players. Um, and I was really just trying to get us at that point, I had figured out that instead of trying to always impress, I was just going to wear a chip on my shoulder and just be the best athlete in the school. Wow. Um, So I feel like the body image thing is sometimes how it starts, but then it can fuel something else that also leads to problems or identity issues. Um, Because I I was always comparing myself then to whatever colleges I was getting looked at compared to other people in the school, what my rank was in grade compared to other people. And so it all started with a manifestation of body image or not being seen enough or not being wanted or desired enough from people that I thought I maybe wanted to be with or even if I didn't, I just wanted to be You wanted them to want to be with you. So, of course, then you go to... I I went to Georgetown University on a soccer scholarship Um, and, of course, you get there and everybody was the best where they came from. It's one of the top schools, top business schools in the country. And then it, it was also a soccer program that hadn't been a top program. And then the couple classes prior to me getting there, it became a top 10 program. We ended up being in a, in a national championship, a couple elite eights. Um, and so all those guys are obsessed with themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and they all want pro contracts. And at a school like Georgetown, I'd say 30% of the kids are athletes, which is a lot. So immediately you are just known. Yeah. Like your presence is known. If you're one of the top teams on campus, your presence is known. And so you become a go-to house for parties. You become a go-to team for events, whatever it is. And everybody in that locker room is cut to pieces. Yeah. Um, so you're now with athletes who were just like you in high school and even better. I mean, it took me three years to get substantial time on the field at Georgetown because everybody's that talented. Wow. It's also the first time where I was in a locker room and it was pretty diverse. Yeah. Like in my high school, pretty much everybody on my team was white. Mm-hmm. On my club team, pretty much everyone on my team was white. And so 
I used to get this jealousy towards black players, both in college and professionally, because I felt like they just naturally were stronger looking. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I, I always felt this um, burden that I worked harder and never looked like them. Mm. And so that's, I think, how it shifted to college and pro was I felt like I spent way more time caring about my body. Not that they didn't. They were obviously very professional too, but everything from what was on my plate to what I was doing in the off season to the extra training that I would do outside of what we were doing in the team, I just felt like I was never becoming what I wanted to truly achieve or look like, yeah. which was frustrating. And so that only made me want to work harder, which is often not the solution. <laughs> Um, and so I think there was a lot of times where I got certain, I never had injuries that put me off the field, but I was always feeling something. And I think it's because I was in this constant state of overtraining, yeah. not to be better, but to just look better. Yeah. What I thought was to look better. So I think that's kind of, um, where it stemmed from. And then there's little things along the journey, like in college, I had gone from 135 to 160 my freshman year. I just bulked up completely. That's when I really started lifting a lot. Yeah, was my like senior training. year in high school. Didn't know a ton about how to do that well. And so it was the classic order the men's health, <laughs> 500 picture book of all the exercises you can do for every body part. And I gained 25 pounds. And that was like a huge wake up call because I had never been that big. Um, but then it also got me the nickname Flying Chode my freshman year in college. So <laughs> apologies for you uh, listeners. If you don't know what that is, Urban Dictionary is a great resource. Um, and so, yeah, it was either that or meatball or whatever. But it was always in this tone that was like goofy and I could joke about it. Mm. But it'd be something where I'd lay, you know, in my bed at night or look in the mirror while brushing my teeth and be like, shoot I am a lot thicker than everybody else it's like you would jump in for self-deprecating like affirmation for yourself right but then really struggle with it later right and so I feel like the attention was awesome because it was something that everyone could rally behind to have a nickname for somebody Mm -hmm. um and flying was attached to it because I was really fast and so Nobody else, no one who made that joke saw that this was like an issue because they obviously weren't inside Mm -hmm. of my mind or my thoughts. And I wasn't going to tell them that in college. Um, While I was very extroverted in college, I definitely still wrestled with being vulnerable and talking openly, especially in a group that thrives off of banter, jokes, humor to pretty much guard everything yeah in locker room banter and literally that's it. everything and well, i want to i want to stop here because the words part that you said like them giving you a nickname although it might have been a joke for them that's why words are so powerful i talk about this with with women in um soul all the time like even the words that i use while i coach i'm very particular about because if i were to say like burn girls burn ladies then it associates in their mind like i need to burn calories to be strong or i need to burn calories to be skinny or and that kind of like goes to compliments as well like if you were to go up to a woman i'm only speaking from a woman's perspective if someone were to come up to me and be like oh you're getting so tiny then like that triggers something in my head to be like tiny equals compliments so i'm gonna get tinier 
right. or something like that, right. you know? So really, listeners, pay attention to the words that you use. Even if it might feel like a joke to you, you never know what someone's actually going through internally and how they could take those words and run with them. Right. Yeah, and I feel like in in college, too, we don't really talk about things like love languages or what matters in communicating with others, especially guy to guy. And so I have always been in tune with them. I've been a more emotional dude forever. Like, I just cry at movie scenes, whatever it is. I'm very vocal about how I feel. I don't really internalize feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that naturally just comes across as more feminine, I guess. Mm. Um, maybe not so much anymore. I definitely think that's shifted in culture. People are... Much more open. 100% and a lot more outspoken. And I don't see as many guys struggle with that as I used to, especially at the pro level. I feel like at the pro level for athletes, we're now being trained that mental health is huge um, because it's a grind. Like you don't just play five years making less than 30K, moving every year to a different city. Like, and not it doesn't get affected matter, by it that. doesn't matter how tough you are for that. Like that, those are huge life changes that you're literally going through year after year after year. Yeah. So you just have to find people. And now every team has a chaplain. Every team has a psychologist that they can talk to. Like, oh, that's great. That's becoming more of the norm now, and I think it's huge because I would say ten percent of the pros in the league I played in, the USL are from Africa and they haven't seen their families in two years. Yeah, so they're because they're already trying to lonely. make it here. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of kids that I played with in Orlando who would train and then go be in their apartment until the next training day. And wow. that was their life. And they're always happy at training because they love soccer. And that's when they see people. But <laughs> they're constantly on WhatsApp, constantly on Instagram. It's the only way they know how to function outside of their real environment. So I think the, sh- the shift has happened where people are now more aware about speaking about how they feel. But yeah, for me, words of affirmation is totally my love language. Like, if you know me at all, I've probably written you a letter at some point in your life. I've <laughs> probably sent you a thank you card or just millions of texts. Austin writes a poem for all of our friends' birthdays and reads it at the birthday party, and it's always... 10 out of 10. And it takes me 10 minutes yeah. because that's what I love to do. It's like easy words. for you, yeah. And I think it's because my brain is constantly firing. Like, I, I can never turn my brain off. Um, and so I'm just constantly thinking about things, people, connecting, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, words for me are the biggest thing. And so when things get attached to words that or numbers numbers are probably second to that Mm. but either way those are two big things that create a certain identity about who you are and it's really hard to shift away from that yeah yeah and you kind of mentioned in the beginning and then just now about how you're always thinking about something and oh like there's always words going through your head you're always thinking about something or what's going to happen next and I was actually just on a run with um Sarah who's been on the podcast before she coaches for soul and um we she has openly talked about how she struggled with disordered eating too and we were talking about on the run this morning and we both like realized like how similar we are and just like how we think and (laughs) it's not like an epiphany moment it was just like a circle back moment to remember that typically someone who struggles with disordered eating 
there's a mental battle behind that. And it's, and it's usually someone who is type A, um, more anxious prone. Um, think about your love languages. If it's words of affirmation, you're constantly thinking of words. And Sarah and I were talking about it's, it always stems from someone who feels out of control in their head, wanting to control something right. that they can control. Yeah. And it might, it might come out in different ways. Like it, for someone, it might be, I want to be a CEO in 10 years. I want to work hard at my job or someone might be marathon training or someone might be losing weight or whatnot, but right. it comes out in a specific way for each person. And typically those are the people who struggle with their bodies the most, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think what makes it tougher to identify is those um, same tendencies also lead to really good exactly. characteristics. It I'm doesn't extremely, make you. Right. I'm extremely disciplined. I take care of most of our finances in our marriage. Yeah. The house is always tidy. Like those things come from the same tendency of like there's environments here that I can control. Yeah. And if I do it in a healthy way, we can be really successful. Right. What happens is it becomes never enough. Like it's never clean enough. It's never quite, um, you're never cut enough mm. or you're not quite at the right diet. Like yeah. whatever it is, it, you just constantly search for more. When you, and so there, you have to find a line where you've done your part and then you can't cross over that line thinking that more needs to be done. Yeah, and recognizing like when your strengths become a weakness. Right. We had Summer Lambert on and she talked all about the Enneagram. And oftentimes when I, I know I can say this, when I look at my Enneagram number, I go straight to what's negative about me. Yep. But so many of the negative parts of me can be used as strengths if I know when to recognize them and yep. switch it around. Like you said, like someone who's type A, although they might be more prone to disorder eating, they also are the reason why things get done in this world. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like totally. it's it's good to be that in certain situations. Um, one thing I want to touch on is if when I coach women or even if I just have a conversation with a woman, it's like every single woman has struggled with body image. Not necessarily disordered eating or um, diet culture or anything like that, but just comparing themselves to other women. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard not to when we live in like a social media world and the media is insane right now. Yep. So I know that I can always relate to a woman or with a woman on that topic. How do you feel with discussing this with men? You know, like, is it harder to talk to men about this because it's not as much addressed amongst yeah, I think, I don't think it's harder to talk to men about it because like I said, I've gotten to a place now where I'll share anything with anybody. Yeah. I think what's hard is you go to your guy friends first looking for the affirmation of or a response or answer to your struggle and they've never experienced what right. you're going through. So it, it's nice to be able to confess to them that you're struggling with, you know, the addiction of the scale or... A certain type of diet or hitting a certain goal mm -hmm. but I think that it's and and it's not less of a struggle either that's what's mind-blowing about it is that I remember doing a walk with my friend Keegan um, who is now playing pro in Colorado and we went to um, it was 
put on by NIDA at American University, the National Eating Disorder Association. Oh, cool. And there were signs around the track that we were walking that said, this is a one-to-one ratio. Like, that was data from the National so Eating as Disorders. as many guys? As many guys struggle with body image and eating disorders as women do. They just don't talk about it. They just don't talk about it. I mean, if you had told me that, I would have said, there's no way. I, th- I think it's a four to one. At yeah. Least, at yeah. least. That's what I would have thought, too. And so I, I wonder, like, where is, yeah, where is the struggle for men to talk about it if the data shows otherwise? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, it, again, men tend to hide insecurities with humor mm-hmm. and and just toughness in general. Like that is a stereotype, but it's also true. Yeah. Most men will not um, say that they struggle with body image, but every single guy in the locker room at some point will look down at themselves before they go out for training. When they're adjusting their shorts, they'll take a peek. Like yeah. if you just stop and observe everybody in the locker room, somebody's always looking at someone else or the humor is like, Gosh, we could all look like Fanwell. Fanwell was a teammate of mine from the Congo mm-hmm. who can eat literally six bags of rice and he has a 12 pack. Like, he's just one of those athletes that will always be strong, muscular, big, and look the same. Yeah. And so that sounds like a joke and a comment that addresses him. But what I think it really is, is everybody sees him and thinks well how the heck do I look like that yeah or why don't I look like that yeah so I think it is I think it's harder for men to talk about it to other men yeah yeah do you think that the goal for most men I mean this is coming from you who's an athlete so it might be different for other people but for most men is to be more strong be more buff chiseled is that like the body image goal I think well, and I'll speak from my experience personally. That was the goal when I was small. Now that I've got there and I've become really strong, I now want to look more like a track runner. Interesting. Like, it's. I think there's this pool that you want something that you don't you, have, yeah. which is common for every problem that yeah. everyone experiences. Like, same thing when you're dating someone. The classic 80-20 is somebody has 80% of what you're looking for, 20% gets dangled in your face and now you have to ask yourself is it really worth chasing the 20 if they're only going to end up having 40 percent wow yeah. so it's the same with the whole body thing it's like I've I, if we're talking about pure numbers my performance has been better and better every single year and I'm still getting older and I'm not even playing professional sports anymore right. I'm just going to our friend our friend's gym and um he continues to make me better and I continue to get better. But because I'm gaining weight very microly, but I am alongside of that, it's like this weird dichotomy for me where I'm like, do I want to continue to push this Mm. or do I want to actually start lifting lighter and running more so that I never cross over a certain threshold? Interesting. Okay. That's a good segue into the next question, which is what are some of your triggers for going into a shame spiral? Like, the scale is obviously Picture, one. Yeah, scale, 100%. Like, if I see a certain number, I immediately want to get to a different number below that, mm. usually. Um, and I can remember... I can remember thinking I was my most satisfied when I came back from surgery. I got surgery on my hip labrum in 2018. And I thought that I was going to gain a lot of weight. 
And much to my surprise, I got on the scale after two weeks of being on the couch. Yeah, you lose all your muscle. Which I was very consciously not eating a lot either. Mm, because was, you knew you couldn't burn it off. Exactly. I was and, 149. Wow. And I'm, for, um, I guess, comparison, I'm like 167 probably right yeah. now. I say probably because thanks to a conversation with you and Michael months ago, I don't think I've pulled the scale out in six months probably. That's awesome. So I... I can have a general idea just visually in the mirror. Or whatever. Well, I can too because for so many years, and it's it's almost like a detriment because for so right. many years the scale was my identity, right. and I I memorized what I looked like at certain weights. Yeah. So I can kind of do that too, and it it messes with my head because I I haven't gotten on a scale since twenty fourteen, and I still can get triggered from even looking in the mirror knowing like right. I know what this weight, oh, it's so effed up. <laughs> yeah, I'm, no, it's the same for me. So it's the mirror um, because it's the it's the obliques first. Like if those are a little bit chunky, I know exactly what weight I am. If they're a little more cut and I can see my side rib cage, then I know or I think I'm in a good place. Yeah. Um, and then it's also tightness of shirts. Like I will How put on, it? Yeah. I will put on a sweatshirt that I bought and I was like, dang, this is baggy. And now I can barely get my shoulders and arms in it. And, and so that immediately... It's an immediate, like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Like, I can't believe I have to go get something new now because this is legitimately uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's there's always, like, layers to this. You're, you're attaching what you think is true and right to many different things that you associate yourself with daily. Yeah. Which makes it really hard to break free from because... There's mirrors in every bathroom, mm -hmm. and even if you put a mirror somewhere else, you know where it is. Yeah, so, so you can find it. So it's just like telling the kid, "Don't touch the hot stove." They're gonna touch the hot stove. Yeah. Like I know where the mirror is in our house. Surprisingly, I know where the scale is too, but I just don't go there. <laughs> you're you're disciplined. That's right. where the discipline becomes a strength. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely an ongoing battle, though. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if it's something you ever truly. Um, get rid of or that's what I that's what I tell people is I I would say that I'm always going to be in recovery yeah I would and I don't want to take anything away from any listener who's listening and thinks like I'm recovered but if that's a tendency for you to go down a shame spiral if you have a tendency to go down shame spirals based off certain triggers then you have to constantly be recovering as those triggers come like yeah. you have to fight against it and that's why I ask the, I always ask the question about what are your triggers because the second you can recognize the trigger and you've you've established this always messes with me then in that moment you can more quickly fight it right without getting deeper and deeper into a shame spiral I rewatched for like the hundredth time Taylor Swift's documentary last night because because you know all too well's back yeah, and I just love her. But there's a scene where she admits to having an eating disorder and um, she said that what triggers her is looking at pictures on the internet, which... Yeah, 100%. Her picture's all over the internet at all times. I mean, social media messes with me because there's pictures of me on the internet amongst my friends and yeah. I get triggered by that. But imagine being Taylor Swift where like people are constantly taking photos of right. you. So she said she realized that that was a trigger for her. And now when she sees a photo and her first thought is, oh, I look fat, 
she knows like it's a photo so she says nope we're not gonna go there we're not going there today and she repeats that over and over again like we're not we're not going down that we're happier now we you know we're free now and it's cool that she admitted to that because I mean she's like someone that probably people compare their bodies to right and to realize that no matter what someone looks like they're probably even if it's like what you strive to look like they're struggling too Right. It's, there's always something that someone's going to compare. <coughs> yep. And <coughs> I think what's refreshing too, um, well, because I pay attention to sports, what's refreshing with some of these CrossFit guys, like I'm just going to Matt Frazier right away because he won five times in a row. Yeah, the these, world's these, strongest man. <laughs> these guys are obviously super cut up, lean, whatever. They They have a very specific type of body and a lot of guys aspire to be that. It's their job. Right. And what I love about Matt Frazier is like, he said, I don't give an F if I look a little bit fatter than the rest. Like, I'm winning everything. Yeah. Um, And so that for me is the current struggle because I'm in this weird transition where I still think I'm a professional athlete and want to be a professional athlete. So I'm training that way. Yeah. And my numbers, like I said, continue to get better and better in all all categories but because that's creating more size and then i'm looking at all of my friends who are still playing professional soccer Mm. that's 13 pounds less that i was when i was playing pro so 13 looks a lot different like that sounds small but it really looks a lot different and so it's this constant struggle of like well do i want to perform better or do i want to look better or or ideally neither like yeah. it doesn't really matter how I'm performing or looking um because Hannah doesn't care about that yeah and even beyond her like the Lord and Jesus don't care about that yeah. so none of my friends care about that like they're not spending less time with me no and so I think we can shift to maybe to like what are you doing to combat this now I'm in counseling right now for a number of things because life is hard. Life is hard. (laughs) And yeah, I think that pretty much anything I've ever struggled with stems from either not feeling like enough or Mm -hmm. not being adequate or wanting to control everything. Yeah. There's always a root. Those two things. And that's because parents are probably not going to listen to this, so I don't care. My parents... (laughs) wanted to control every element of what I did in the house growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly my mom wanted control over everything. All of my assignments wanted to rummage through my backpack, wanted to control what I wore to school when I got haircuts. Wow. Would remind me and still reminds me at 29 years old, like make sure he's brushing his teeth every night. And instead of texting me now, it's texting my wife. Oh, and so that's tough. there was always this element of control. Mm. control 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 and then also like why did you get a 90 on that test it should have been a 95 like if Mm. you would have put the xbox down a little bit right and so words and numbers again like it was never enough and i never felt like my parents were proud enough towards me they would go tell everybody in public look how amazing our son is like he's accomplishing everything he's going to top school in the university he's on the homecoming, mm-hmm. but whatever it was, but they could never actually tell me that, which was so confusing to me. Yeah. Like I, I didn't understand that. And so that has become just a deeply rooted seed. 
And so there's what I'm learning in counseling is there's level one healing and there's level two healing. Oh. Level one is external. What can you do externally to create boundaries yeah. to not fall into the same patterns? So that looks like putting the scale right. away or um, not going to social media or um, avoiding reading the next best article about the new diet, whatever yeah. that is. And I'll pause there and just say I've literally experimented with every diet under the sun. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by nutrition, but again, that strength or passion has become, well, let me experiment on myself to right. see which one is ideal to get the eight pack or look like everybody else. Yeah. Um, and so those are all level one healing, like they're temporary relief from the problem. Mm. But level two healing is inner healing. It's all internal, and it's actually going back and addressing the roots. Digging the roots up and caused, pulling them out. Yeah, that, that led to this, that caused it, that made it a lifelong battle. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a lot of hard work. Like That takes some deep, intentional meditation, prayer, repentance even, yeah. forgiveness, forgiving others who have offended you. Mm -hmm. Um and then really like surrendering control, which is ultimately the hardest thing to do. But yeah. that's what, you know, that's what the Lord asks us to do the most. It's like, give this all over to me. Yeah. That's a really good point. The in, I like the level two, level one. I'm going to use that. So thank your therapist sure. for me. <laughs> but that's a really good point is you can do everything possible on the outside and those things help. But until you dig up the past, it's going to keep resurfacing. Right. So that's, that's really good. So if you could tell your past self something today, what would you tell young Austin? Yeah, I would say what you focus on and what you pay attention to is what you become. Mm. So for me, in college pro, everything I was focused on was everybody else. All the articles about nutrition, working out my numbers, and then how others perceived me. Yeah. When really, like, we, I have a father in heaven who's singing constant praise over me, affirmation, approval. Yeah. Like, that's why um, I think it's in Gyra when Chandler Moore says, like, it doesn't take a trophy to, to make Oh, that ball. line I slays me. Like, yeah. The first time that line came out, I bawled like a baby because I still don't get that. Yeah. Like... I still feel like I need to constantly prove myself to other people. Um, and so it just takes that constant, like, to me, that that isn't just, like, letting go or acknowledging. Like, you truly do have to repent from that because what you're saying is that the way God created you is not good enough. Mm. Like, you're telling him that what he's made is not enough. Yeah. And that's a, that's a punch in the face. Yeah, like, it is. When you think about that, and you believe everything he says about himself and who he is. Then you should believe what he says about you. fearfully and wonderfully made and all that. Then you should never have a feeling towards him that he's created something that isn't perfect to him. Wow. Which is gnarly. But, like, that's the reality of it. That really hit me. <laughs> I'm, like, over-bent right now. <laughs> well, and that's why, that's why repentance can be joyful. Like, we attach something negative to repentance because it makes us feel ashamed yeah because shame is attached to sin mm -hmm. when we feel like we sin we feel like we're starting from square one again yeah but 
you can shift perspective to think about it as like, okay, what I'm actually doing is aligning myself with what the Lord says about me. And that's going to lead to progress and growth about Mm -hmm. the changes I'm trying to make. Yeah. So that's where repentance can become actually like a joyful exercise. Right. And where we hold like grudges with other people and even ourselves, like the second, I mean, you're already forgiven, whether you repent or not. Right. So think about like the freedom you would feel if you did have that moment of like saying, I'm sorry, knowing that the answer is always, yeah, you're forgiven. Yeah. And then I think the next step in that, and I think this is what you do a really good job with at soul, but everybody can learn from this. And and it's in all throughout scripture too, is the power of declaration. Like it's not just enough to repent and move forward. You now have to replace the lie that you believed with something truthful. Mm-hmm. Speaking it aloud is the easiest way to do that because another thing I'm learning from counseling and mentors in my life is that sometimes your emotion will follow behavior. Yeah. Not the other way yeah. around. Like you get into bad situations where you let behavior follow emotion. I think we can all attest yeah. to that. <laughs> Hannah and I are, have a have a four-year ongoing discussion about the valid the validity of if every feeling in that moment is right. And I know we've all talked about this amongst our friends too, because I do think there are times where you can have a poor reaction to something and you need to ask yourself, was that reaction okay? And yes, you can say that it was, okay, that's how you reacted. Let's accept that. Mm -hmm. But what follows the reaction? So speaking something aloud, speaking truth into the air, hearing yourself say it, it convinces you. It Yeah. The more you say that, you're going to believe. The yeah. same way you told yourself over and over again, I need to look like this. I need to eat that. Yep. I need to look like that. You started believing that mm-hmm. because it's what you were hearing yourself say over and over again. So why can't the same power be true yeah. in the reverse? That's so good. I mean, that's why sh- like people often ask, like, why is it shameless living? Like, why do you always say that? Why is that your slogan? Right. And for me, it was because when I started saying my story out loud, then there was no room for shame because right. one, it was out there. So I wasn't internally holding on to it anymore. And two, I found that most people's response was love and right. acceptance. Yep. And so when you say like, um, you do a really good job of this at Soul, like my thing with shameless living the reason I always preach it is because it's what I struggle with the most. Yeah. So if I didn't preach it, then I would go down a, the worst spiral of all time. And I still daily spiral in shame because it's like my deepest like mm-hmm. weight. But then I have to talk about it because I know that that like frees me from that moment yeah. of feeling that. Well, and that's yet another kind of mantra that I feel like I've learned both from scripture and mentors, what, whatever this lesson that the Lord has taught me is like often where you feel attacked the most or where you're struggling the most in your life is actually where you're meant to bring the most good in the world. Yeah. That's so true. So yeah, for me, things like performance, eating well, all those control, like there are a lot of people who would love to be able to have that type of discipline and motivation. Mm-hmm. And so going through the fire in my own mental thought life with all of those things allows me to tell everybody else exactly how not to think and yeah. the truth to speak over themselves because it's something I'm working through every single day. Yeah, and one thing that I 
realized when I started soul was like the Lord never takes away something that you love. Right. So I, I truly, although I abused it for many years, I love exercise. Yeah. It's my mental health escape. It makes me feel powerful. It makes me feel strong, empowered, all this. And so I assumed that when I, I literally put off going to counseling or telling anyone that I struggled with this because I didn't want to have to give up exercise. Right. And God was like, not only do you not have to give it up, but I'm going to let you use, I'm going to use this and let you use this as your career to spread the good news. Right. You know, like he doesn't take away something like everything can be good. Like we said earlier, it's how we abuse it. That makes it negative. Yeah. And again, there's, I mean, you can always find revelation or truth. If you go back to the word too, like he says he works everything for good. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. That means bad and good. So your struggle, you just need to ask him, like, what good do you want to come from this? And Mm -hmm. I think that is where I'm currently shifting my perspective about why do I want to look a certain way? Why do I want to be physically fit? Why do I want to eat well? Well, instead of because I want to look like I've ripped or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's what it used to be attached to and still is from time and time again. It's now, okay, Switchfoot says this in one of their songs way back. Yeah. But I freaking love this lyric. It says, um, I'm not sentimental. This skin and bones is a rental. Wow. Because the Lord has given you a temporary body you have body, soul, and spirit. Mm-hmm. He's given you a temporary body on earth to steward your gifts well. Yeah. It's not your own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Yeah. The price was Jesus. And so the perspective changes to, wait, why am I controlling something that I didn't even create or isn't even mine to begin with? Right. I want to be physically fit have energy be strong mm-hmm. so that i can use that to serve people for longer yeah more often be the person in the room that when everybody else is fading i can keep going yeah and that's i think that's what it truly looks like to serve the lord with your body yeah um because a lot of times the norm in culture is we go to our jobs and then we come home drained and we're too tired to want to do the chores for our spouse Mm -hmm. or agree to doing something we said we were going to do or we make an excuse to move on from it or, again, we say we're too tired from work to find the time to exercise. Whatever it is, Mm -hmm. we all create excuses at some point. But I feel like if I continue to stay disciplined in these things that I want to do and love to do, and it's attached to a different perspective mm-hmm. of how to use it, then I think that's where you can start to shift. Yeah. Yeah. The and then other about peop- yourself. And other people, like, um, I mean, they don't know what they're having yet, but I'm convinced it's a girl. So, like, your future daughter right. will see that, and you can let her know that, like, you can use discipline for good. Yeah. Like, this is a gift. Totally. You know, if and if... That, that can encourage her in so many ways. Yeah. You know, or him, yeah. whatever, the girl. But right. <laughs> <laughs> watch it be we'll a boy. find out Wednesday. They so. find out Wednesday. By the time this comes out, you'll know. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so if you could tell yourself. Actually, I'm going to save that one. Um, I'm going to ask you the four questions that I ask 
every guest. Okay. And one of the questions is very fitting for our conversation today. Okay. Some of them are fun, though. What's something that you're currently obsessed with? Like a food, a TV show, a product? All right. It's a weird food, um, but I get a lot of looks for this. Dates with butter. Dates with butter? I am on this kick where... <laughs> So you get a date and you rub butter on it, or it comes prepared with butter? It does not come prepared. <laughs> it's literally taking a knife, cutting a square of butter, putting it between the two dates when you rip it open, and eating it. Oh my gosh. Did you hear about the Pop-Tart butter thing? I did not. Well, I, I love Pop-Tarts. <coughs> okay. You actually gave me Pop-Tarts during That's my right, pregnancy. That's right, I did. Yeah, because it was a huge craving of mine during pregnancy. Yep. Um, but... Someone posted about how, this was years ago, like someone talked about how like if you haven't put butter on your Pop-Tart, then you're doing everything wrong. Interesting. And so now Pop-Tart, like it's become such a thing that people are like doing and and sharing on social media that Pop-Tart created a butter brand oh to put God. on <laughs> their Pop-Tart. I'm curious to know if that's legitimately butter or yeah. What? Who knows what it actually is, but it's all the rage right now. Well, good. At for least that. with you know the algorithm shows you things that you love. Yeah. And so I'm seeing pop tarts everywhere on social media. That's actually hilarious. And I'll add to that too. That's a victory for me to have a snack like that because yeah, it's all energy. And for I think. Just speaking from facts, and this is not to um, create a certain standard with diet or whatever, bodybuilders, when they're getting to the very end of their stage, will cut all carbs and fats and just do protein. Yeah. Like, they will eat, like, egg whites for seven days straight until it's time for their show, which is, yeah, hard work, and if that's what you're into, great. That's extremely difficult to do. Yeah. So having dates with butter is literally just fat and carbs together and it's a lot of calories and it's something I probably would have avoided for two or three years straight. Yeah. So that is I'm a victory. Cool. I'm cool with being obsessed with it right now. Yeah. I don't yeah. Mind. That's yeah. a, that is a victory to also, it's so freeing when, um, you realize that this doesn't affect me anymore. Right. It's like, cause it, and it's that practice thing. The yep. more you practice it, the more you do it. And then eventually you get to a point where it doesn't affect you. You don't right. think about it. I've shared this on the podcast before, but my like binging thing that I used to binge for so long was trail mix. Mm. Nuts. Like I would eat a whole bag because I wouldn't eat all day. And then yep. I'd eat a whole bag at night and I would feel sick. Yeah. And so for so long, like I was scared of almonds because it was in trail mix and it was something that I always sent me in a shame spiral. Yeah. And then it was just one day, married to Michael, we were just like eating almonds and it didn't affect me. And I just had this epiphany moment of like, oh, I'm free. Yeah. Like, you know, it was just one day you yeah. kind of wake up after all that practice and you're like, it worked. Yeah. So it takes time though. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay. Second question is, what is something that you're looking forward to in the rest of 2021? Well, obviously finding out. Yeah. Um, what do you think it is? I don't know. I don't like this game. <laughs> um, because also, if you know our story from last year, and you, if you guys want to find me on Instagram or whatever, there's millions of blog posts that I wrote about this. Yeah, I'll link it in the show notes. To me, the the whole thing is redemption regardless. So boy, girl, 
Yeah. I don't care. I, I really don't have a feeling. Um, and part of that is because there's a few people I look up to that have gone different ways. I know. This. That's not right. And I'm not going to say anything. I'm just waiting. Yeah. Just yeah. waiting to see who's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, next question. And this kind of circles back to what I'd intended to ask in our interview was, what is something that you love about yourself right now? I think I've gotten to a really help. Well, one, I love that I'm not getting on the scale anymore. I have no idea what my weight is. Yeah. Um, and I think that I have, well, so rewind in March, I did a competition. Actually, Michael went with me. We went to Dallas. I stayed with his parents. It was awesome. <laughs> um, but I was in this ridiculous mindset to um, be perfect at this race that my last meal was at 2 p.m. the day before the race. I don't, I don't know if many people even know that mm. uh, or if I've told anyone that because I had been training fasted mm. every morning. So I felt like I was going to race better fasted, which is just idiotic. Like yeah. this is a very difficult race at your anaerobic threshold. You need you energy. burn glucose in like five minutes yeah. <laughs> in a race like this. And you could see it. Like Michael's filming me on the assault bike towards the end of the race and i am literally a zombie yeah because you know it was brutal it was brutal um i also had my house at 62 degrees because i wanted my heart rate variability to be higher because that's what my whoop told me was good Mm. so i think i'm most proud that i've done the external work and i'm currently doing the internal like I've gotten rid of the scale. Michael's had my whoop since March 31st, and mm-hmm. I didn't even order a whoop 4.0. I just don't <laughs> care. Like, it is super cool technology, and if you can have a healthy relationship with it, by all means, I would recommend it and tell you to purchase yeah. it. But for me, I look at that scale or the colors recovery scores every single day to the point where I want it to be perfect yeah. every time, and I just know I can't wear that right now. That's a really good... That's really good. I... I remind my girls of that too. Like I, for a long time, didn't buy an Apple watch because I wasn't like ready for it. And then once I felt like I was in a healthier spot, I got one and I love it and I I don't abuse it. Right. But if it becomes something that's a trigger for you, don't use it. Right. You know? And I I honestly think I, I don't think I'll ever be at a place where I can wear a whoop and be like, all right, whatever. Yeah. So that's good. You know that. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, last question is, if you could leave our listeners with one piece of truth today, outside of all the other pieces of truth you've already dropped, what would that be? Like one little small nugget of wisdom. Yeah, well, just going back, uh, just what you pay attention to is what you become. Mm -hmm. I'll just say that over and over again. The things that you look at, the things that you listen to, the things that you talk about, your emotion is going to follow those behaviors. So yeah, that's it. That was fun. That, that was a good fun. little conversation. Thanks for um, thanks for showing up and sharing your story <laughs> sure. to everyone. Um, listeners, I'm going to link Austin's Instagram at the link in bio, and then your blog is on your Instagram, right? I think so, yeah. If not, I'll also link the blog. But y'all should follow him, especially if you're looking for just vulnerability on your feed. He's, he always brings it and, and spits truth. So um, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And listeners, I will talk to you next week. Bye.